So hello, everyone. For those of you who have not had the opportunity to meet me, my name is Devin. I had the great opportunity to meet almost 70 of you this weekend, so it's been an absolutely fun time. But uh, to tell you a little bit about myself, first of all, I'm a Michigan fan, so go blue from yesterday. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I see you up front there. Um, I, I have two amazing dogs, Blue and Apollo, Black Lab, Golden Retriever. I'd love for you all to meet them one day. I've been married to my wife for five years, but we've been with each other since we were 13 and 14 years old. So childhood sweethearts, I know. Aw. Um, but before I keep talking and rambling, because I have a reputation of talking too long, I'm going to jump right in. And last week, Pastor Mike talked about making a decision to turn towards God ahead of time during your tribulation. And I think that set me up pretty well this week, because I'm going to be talking about when you're in the tribulation, when you've had the moment to where he said so eloquently, life punches you in the face, that when you have that moment, you can turn to God. And we're going to be discussing that, how to turn to God, even how to praise God through your tribulation, and then even look back on it, how you can look back through your trials, hardship, and see God in it. So today we're going to focus on two main pieces of scripture. We're going to bounce around some too, but the two main pieces of scripture that we're going to focus on, if you want to follow along, is James 1 and 1 Thessalonians 5. And specifically, we're going to jump in that 1 Thessalonians 5 verse right now, so follow me at verses 16 to 18. I'll be reading out of the NIV. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. So let's start with that really long first verse there. Rejoice always. Now it's easy to rejoice when Michigan wins. It's easy to rejoice when you get the the job you really wanted to get, when you get the promotion, when your fantasy football team wins. It's easy to rejoice over those things. But what happens when life is hard? Because rejoice always seems pretty difficult then. You know, further than what happens when your team loses, you know, whatever. That's one thing. But what happens when you don't get the job you wanted, when you don't get the promotion, when you do the math and you find out at the end of the month you're not going to have enough money to make ends meet? Then it becomes really hard to rejoice always. And we've all been through those times to where it's hard to rejoice. And the thought of rejoicing when you're going through hardship is absolutely absent, to be honest. But... If you want to become good at this, if you want to become good at rejoicing always, I suggest you become a Lions fan because you will eventually learn how to lose with pride, okay? You'll eventually become so prideful in your losses that you take pride in in how bad you are. But what I'm saying is rejoice always sounds like kind of an impossible task. But in fact, this is actually echoed throughout the Bible. So if you turn with me to Philippians 4, verse 4, I'll be reading out the NIV again. It says... Rejoice in the Lord always. There it is again. And I will say it again, rejoice. So two verses, you heard it three times. uh, So it must be serious. But we've all lived through COVID. We all had times of isolation to where that just seems absolutely impossible. But this isn't talking about rejoicing always like a a crazy person. This is saying rejoice in all seasons of your life. So we're going to talk about that. But the rhetorical question is, how can I rejoice always? So here's point one. Rejoice over the process, not the problem. Trust what your trials produce. And immediately I know some of you are going to be like, I don't know what my trials produce, so how am I going to rejoice over something I don't know about? Don't worry, God's got you covered. He tells you what your trials are going to produce. So God tells us what our problems really produce, and it produces a strong, courageous, and mature faith. The process produces endurance that makes faith mature. 
So remember I said we're going to go talk about James 1 as well. I'd love for you to turn over to that with me. James 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So this doesn't mean that we're a bunch of slap-happy Christians, that we're happy over everything, that we never experience depression, that we never experience anxiety. No. I had anxiety before I met with you guys this morning and before I had the opportunity to know you all, okay? We all experience that. It's human emotion. But what, it, what I can say is when you go through that, when you go through the season of hardship, you go from that time. You, how many of you guys have ever talked to people and they're going through something hard and you don't know what to say to them? Okay, that, that sucks. I think we all have. Thank you for raising your hand, not make you feel alone. But uh, we think we all have. When you go through it, all of a sudden you can connect and empathize with people. When you've gone through a season of hardship, you can say, you know what, I understand what you're going through. I know how to listen. I know how to be at your side. And I can say, say that God is going to be with you the way he was with me. All of a sudden you have a testimony to be shared. And in that circle, that, when that full circle moment comes, you go, oh, I get how you could rejoice. I get how it's pure joy. But let's be real for a moment. Seldom do I ever remember going through a trial and tribulation, especially a season of that, and thinking, man, I can't wait to see how this matures my faith. That, that doesn't happen, right? But when I go through it, it's like, God, I don't know what to do. I have no clue what to do, God. I, I just have to lean on you. I've got to trust in you because I don't know what else to trust in. And it's that process of leaning on God that's going to make your, mature, your faith mature. So let's go to scripture for a moment. I want to show you guys one of the greatest leaders in all the Bible. He's one of the few people we say he finished strong in his leadership and ministry. And uh, I know a lot of you guys have been here going, you know what? I've been in depression. I'm in depression right now. I'm in a season of hardship right now. And I don't know how to turn to God. I don't know how, how to do this on my own. This is difficult. Well, I'll tell you right now, Joshua, as great as a leader is, he needed encouragement as well, just like we all need encouragement. It's a human emotion, and it's something that we should lean on others as well as God to get this encouragement. So turn to me to Deuteronomy 31.6, and we'll read all the way to 8. It says, be strong and courageous. That's going to be a theme tonight. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's something we got to remember there too. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous. You must go with this people into the land the Lord swore to the ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So did you guys notice how many times he said, do not be afraid there alone? It was over and over and over again. In fact, I don't think this is by chance. The phrases, do not be afraid or fear not, occur over 365 times in the Bible. That's enough for every day you wake up, whatever you're going, for, uh, going through, you can say, I'm going to turn to the Bible, and God's going to have a verse that tells me, do not be afraid. I'm with you. Fear not. Your God is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. 
But I love Joshua's response to this because he's like, well, then how should I lead, right? I don't know how to lead. If, if it's not uh, fearful, okay, I won't be, be afraid. How should I leave? Should I be calm and collected? Well, God answers that for him. He says that you should be strong and courageous. Now, the thing about being strong and courageous, though, is to be strong, you have to have moments of weakness. And to be brave, courageous, you have to have moments to where you're absolutely terrified. Okay, That's how you become strong and courageous, and that's how you develop a faith that is strong and courageous. But notice that he's not strong and courageous because what he's going to do, but because he recognized that his God will be with him because he said that I will never leave nor forsake you. It does not mean that he's going to... uh, Uh, handle everything for him, what he's saying is, whatever you walk into, I will be with you. I will not leave nor forsake you. So how many history junkies do we have in here today? Oh, okay, we got a couple. All right, all right. I am a church history junkie. I love this stuff. So Joshua took this phrase, be strong and courageous, and he took it to heart. He didn't just apply it to his life. He even let his army buy it. So how many of you guys know the Spartans? Like, you know, 300, the iconic Spartan kick. Yeah, we all, we all know it. It's a great movie, okay? Well, they used to move as a unit, and they'd slap their uh, spear against their chest, and every time they did that, they'd move a step at a time. Now, when they did that, it was because they'd move as a unit, they'd be impenetrable. Well, the Hebrews did this as well. The Hebrews did it with a phrase, though. They said, rock, chazak, rock, chazak. Can you say that with me? Rock, chazak. Okay, so what that means is be strong and courageous. Not because of what you're going to do. No, you're going into battle. This is going to be terrifying, a lot more terrifying than anything I'm talking about that I've gone through. But he's saying be strong and courageous because I will be with you, because your God will not leave you nor forsake you. So to recap our last point, you can always rejoice over the process because of what it produces. A strong, courageous, and mature faith. It produces a rock chazak type of faith. Now I want to shift to the second really long verse in 1 Thessalonians, verse 17. It says, pray continually, or the King James Version says, pray without ceasing. Now, uh, I, I'm going to give you some advice through a season of hardship. Uh, pray. And it gets eye-rolled a lot. Pray and pray some more. But it's real solid advice. Now, I don't want you to take this so literal, though, that you go home and you ignore your family and you don't talk to anyone because you're just sitting in prayer constantly, okay? You need to spread the gospel. You can't just be in prayer all day. So what this is saying, so if you look at that word pray continually, the words continually or without ceasing, and you look at the Greek word, it's adilapatos. And I'm sure I said that wrong. So if you want to come up to me afterwards and make fun of me for it, I am willing to take that. But what this phrase means, adilapatos, is that we cannot take periods, time, or seasons away from God. You know, the football season ends in February, starts in August. There's an off season there. What he's telling you is that there should be no off season with your prayer life with God. There should be no off season with your walk with God. I don't care if you're uh, uh, going through any kind of sin. If you're going, you know what, God, I am far away from you. I'm doing drugs. I'm stealing. I'm doing a lot of horrible things. That means you should turn to God even more. The word repent, you should be repenting, not just asking for forgiveness, but you should be actively turning away from your life of sin and turning towards God. You should be looking to God to say, you know what, you're my Savior. I'm going to try to turn from my life and turn towards you. But the word prayer, you know, I don't view it just as talking with God. 
prayer to me is moving with God. It's knowing God. It's searching for God. It's saying that there's no off-season with your God. Now, I was just talking to one of my best friends last week in a Bible study, and he was, we were talking about a prayer life. And he was like, you know, I'm not in the Bible as much as I should, but let me tell you something. I'm in prayer all day long. Like, when I get in my car, he's blessed to have a Corvette. He goes, immediately, I thank God for this vehicle. I start driving down the street. He sees the sunrise, and he goes, man, thank you, God, for this beautiful sunrise. Like, I do that. As soon as I see that sunrise, I go, man, Bob Ross couldn't paint this, God. You're showing off today. So it's definitely a season, of a lifestyle of prayer. And he gets to his job, and he goes, thank you, God, for my coworkers. He sees a homeless person. He goes, you know, God, thank you for putting it on my heart to turn back and give a dollar when I can. It's all about living uh, a lifestyle of prayer and taking no seasons off. So you may be thinking, how can I make sure God is with me through this time, though? How can I make sure this process is actually maturing my faith and it has everything to do with how you walk with God through that season? Will you decide to take a season away from him? Or will you decide to take a season to say, I'm going to lean into you, God. I'm going to allow you to carry me. So point two is this, make prayer a priority. Okay, so like my wife and I, we have like a 1% type relationship where we really do not fight or argue. Like a lot of people may say that, but we really don't. But we did get into an argument about a month ago. Um, She closed the fridge and it sounded to me like she closed it really hard. So I was like, hey, Amanda, uh, you closed the fridge too hard. And she goes, no, I didn't. Uh, it, It didn't close very hard at all. Um, it just wing caught it or whatever. Now, the problem with her saying that, though, is I'm in the other room. And we have a dog named Blue who we call Scooby-Doo for short sometimes. Because if I'm in one room and I go, hey, Manny, can you get me a water? It just saying something like that, as simple as that, my dog will think we're yelling at each other for some reason and jump in my lap and start shaking and crying. So, like, I have to hold him and console him. I probably, you know, coddle it a little too much because I think it's cute. But so she does this. And she goes, oh, I didn't close the fridge hard. And I go, hey, uh, you're scaring blue. <laughs> so she comes over and she goes, I don't like when you say I'm scaring blue. It makes me feel like a bad dog owner. And I'm like, well, that's not what I meant. I just didn't want to say be quiet. You know, that feels a lot worse. And it was this miscommunication we had. So we're going back and forth and she's like, okay, I don't care how you meant it. This is how I interpreted. And I'm like, well, you interpreted it wrong. And we're going back and forth just bickering, right? So Eventually, it comes to a point where I'm like, you know what? You do a lot more important things than me. My wife is studying to be a nurse anesthetist, so if you go into surgery, she's the one that puts you to sleep. So she's got a case study for the next one. I'm like, why don't you go work on that, and then we'll revisit this conversation after that. So I don't talk to her about it or anything, but I go over, and I make prayer a priority. I turn to God, and I go, God, listen, I need you to be with us. I need you to be with me to help understand her, to communicate my points across to her. And I need you to make this not just me and her against the problem, but me, her, and you against the problem, okay? Now, it's really hard to stay aggravated when you do a prayer like that and then you come back and talk to your spouse because you're probably pretty calmed down. It'd be ridiculous if you're praying to God angry and came back angry. Um, But regardless, I had to decide to move to prayer in those times. And eventually we got everything figured out. But it's a decision that's not an automatic thing. It's something you have to decide to do. You have to decide to make prayer a priority in your life. And what do you think that's doing for your faith? It's maturing it. It's maturing your faith. So what I want to tell you is prayer isn't a seasonal or even a situational phase. It's a continuous lifestyle. And that's what this two-word verse is really communicating to us. Now let's read the last part of 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. 
It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So right there, three for three on verses from God right there that I'm like, I don't know if I can do. Because I don't know if you all have stepped on Legos in the middle of the night, but giving thanks is not what I'm thinking about doing. It's like, God, why do these Legos out here? Or when you kick something, you stub your toe. I'm not like, thank you, God, for this wall that's in front of me. I'm like, man, uh, the old me wants to come back out. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about how that, again, is a, a situational thing or a seasonal thing. It's saying give thanks in all seasons through your life. So let's turn back to James 1, 2 through 4. But this time, I want you to keep in mind the original audience. So the original audience, it was written, or James was written around 62 to 69 AD. I believe it to be around 64, post-64 AD. I could tell you a lot why afterwards, but I'm going to uh, uh, not explain that and bore you all. But what was going on in this time period is there was this emperor that had just taken over, Nero. He was a bad guy. He killed his parents to become emperor. So Nero does this. He gets in power, and he goes, you know what? I want to make a giant colossal statue of myself. I want to make a colossal statue of Nero, and I want to make a giant home. So what he decides to do is, 64 AD, he creates the Great Fire of Rome. He burns down two-thirds of the common living areas for Roman people. Now the Jews, they were like, we don't like these Christians talking about Jesus as the Messiah. It's putting us out of business. So Nero was like, how about we make Christians the scapegoat? So he outlaws Christianity and starts the persecution of Christianity to the point where there's things going on like Nero's circus where he was feeding Christians to lions for entertainment. They also would put us in a crucifix position, put oil on us, burn us in the, in the streetlight through Rome to light the cities and show us an example of why you shouldn't be a Christian. Horrible things going on right now. So now that you have that context, read this again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, I could stop right there and be like, pure joy? Like, think about that original audience reading that. Pure joy is what you're going to tell me? But he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And what I want to tell you is whatever your adversary is, I want you to decide to turn towards God. I want you to view it as an opportunity to grow your faith. I want you to search God in prayer and through your walk daily. That's what I want from you guys. I want that for you guys. So in my own life, um, it was November 2019, day after Thanksgiving. Uh, I'll never forget that day. It was the day we found out my mother-in-law had leukemia. And uh, it was a tough season, and, you know, Christmas comes around, it's December, she starts treatment, and I remember talking to my wife, just, I remember the moments where she was like, this might be my last Christmas with my mom, and I was like, man, um, don't talk like that, she beat this before, she beat this 20 years ago, she's going to beat it again, it's okay, that was the first sad Christmas I experienced, and then 2020 happened, we all know how fun that year was, so things progress. She goes into the hospital, and then as she's in the hospital, COVID breaks out. And we go, well, now we can't be with her. Now we can't be with, you know, it's more than just a mother-in-law and a mother. It was the best friend. And my mother-in-law took my side during arguments, okay? So you can only imagine the relationship there. So it wasn't just a mother-in-law and a mother. It was a best friend and somebody who had my back, okay? Um, and then she, things got worse. She went into a coma. And I remember my wife FaceTiming her mom all the time, even through when she was in a coma. 
But my wife couldn't escape this because she was a nurse. She had to go to the uh, hospital and deal with COVID patients. She had to make phone calls to, with families um, while she's thinking about her own mom at home. She could not escape her trauma. And I remember the strength she showed that I don't know how anyone could endure going through that day and day and still be faithful to God. And I remember reading a verse like this in James and going, pure joy? How could anyone have pure joy through a season like this? I remember the thoughts of how could anyone give thanks through a season like this, but I stayed faithful and leaned on God even more through my unknowingness. We all did. Her father, brother as well. And we had this prayer while she was in her coma. Um, that God, you know, if it's your will, your will be done. If it's your will that she returns home to you, that is your will and we will accept it because we trust in you more than we trust in ourselves. But God, do not let her pass away alone. Please, God, let her come home. Please, God, let us be with her before then. And a miracle happened. The doctors called it a miracle. She woke up out of the coma, she recovered quickly, and she was cancer-free. And I thought, hallelujah, God came through. And it was fantastic. We celebrated a couple birthdays together. And then we got, you know, punched in the face again, like Mike said. August came, and they said, hey, we have bad news. The cancer came back, and it came back aggressively. She has no more than a week left to live. So it was like we had this high moment that was undescribable, followed by this hit, and we were like, but we prayed that she'd come home. We prayed that she'd come home. And I remember how hard it was to say goodbye. I remember this pain of saying goodbye to her. But I also remember thanking God. I remember thanking God for allowing me to say goodbye. I remember thanking God for allowing me to know her for 12 years because I met my wife way younger than I should have. I remember thanking God for all the little moments in between to where we were able to spend time with each other. I remember thanking God because we had Bible studies as a family. We leaned on God in an incredible way, and I thank God for, for allowing me to be married into that family. In that time, it went from Mike was my father-in-law to now he's my father. Vince was my brother-in-law. He is my brother. I view that trial and I decide to say, I thank God for it. But I'm going to read that verse again to you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I can say I can stand here today and say those moments matured my faith by years and years and years. Those moments allowed me to say, you know what? I know leaning on God is the only way to get through trauma. I've experienced it. I've looked, lived this firsthand, and I know how to thank God through that season because I've had the opportunity, and thank God I had the opportunity to be able to do that. But the thing about tribulations is um, the season is often long. So months go by, things are going on outside of that. One of my friends commits suicide. I had a family member I wasn't close enough to commit suicide. Um, you know, my, my niece, uh, who was a newborn, had, had single-digit chances of living. She made through, thank God. But uh, I'll never forget 515. I was strong enough to handle all that because of what I had just been through. And then 515 came. And I'll never forget, I was sitting on my couch, and my sister sent me a picture of some guy. And I was like... Okay, like, and she goes, do you know him? And I said, no. 
And I'll never forget, she replied with three words to me that changed my life. She said, he raped me. And I was like, whew, like, I just got over this guy. Give me a breather, okay? I just got through this. And I had an immediate wave of emotions. This was my little sister. This is my innocent little sister who had laugh of the year in high school, who was an amazing person, so good. And I, and I read this and I go, this is impossible. This can't be happening. And then immediately it's followed by anger, like a rage that I know it's a human reaction. I know that it is rightful to be angry in those times, but it was a rage that I'm not proud of. And then followed sorrow. And I was like, that happened to my sister. I need, I can't imagine what she just went through. And I started to cry and immediately caught myself. This is over the course of like four minutes I'm experiencing this like whirlwind. And I go, I need to be strong for my sister because I need to be the one to show her how to lean on God through this time. I need to be the one to do that. God was preparing me for this moment. And I watched my sister. It wasn't easy. I watched my sister develop a rage that I knew far too familiar. I watched my sister go through ups and downs, trials. I watched her go through so much. But I remember it was a couple months later. And I was sitting in service. I don't even know what, what they were talking about in that service. But I remember thinking, like, God, you forgave me in an amazing way. And you continue to forgive me. And to do that wasn't easy. You asked the Father to take this cup from you, but you said, if it's your will, let it be done. You, you did that for me, so I need to forgive in the same way you forgave. And I told God, I was like, I don't know if it's sincere or not, but I forgive those people involved. I forgive all of them. And immediately it went from like I had ropes holding me down with men to all of a sudden I was just free. Like the freedom of forgiveness was unbelievable. I could not explain it. And eventually I came to a point to where I was able to be okay again. There's no chance, not by chance, that I'm sitting up here and talking to you about today. Um, almost a year to the day, it was November 1st, uh, four days from now, my sister tried to take her life. And she was unsuccessful. But now I get to stand here every day. And I quietly count the days. And every day I wake up and I go, thank you, God, for another day that I get to live with my sister. Thank you, God, for allowing this because nothing was guaranteed, but you gave this to me. I can say that I'm not going to look back on those times and view it as it was hard, but I can say I'm thankful for the tribulation. And I had this message that I wrote because in this time I was preaching for high school, middle school kids, like the whole shebang. And uh, this was for the kids. And I write my messages six weeks in advance. So there's no way I knew it was going to be happening. And uh, I'll read it to you, the verse that I was, I was reading for them, because it was really God speaking to me. It was, I'm going to read out of the NLT, just easier for kids to read, just like I did. It's Exodus 14, verses 13 to 14. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now, I want you to keep this in context. This was as Moses was at the Red Sea. 
people were shouting out, why did you lead us here only for us to die? Why did you take us out for us to die? There was probably people going, you know, forget this guy. I'm running around the Red Sea. There was probably people turn around like, I'm ready to fight and defend my family. And then there was probably people on their knees praying. And what was God's answer to Moses in this time? Stand still and be calm. I am for you. Trust and lean on me. Man, I read that and I was like, that's not for them. That's for me. That's the kind of God we have. And that leads me to my third point. Trust and thank God through our trials. We may never be thankful for the trial itself, but we can be thankful through that trial. We can make a decision to turn towards God rather than away from him in our season of hardship. We can make a decision to say, I will make a prayer a priority in my life when I don't want it to be. We can make a decision to say, I will rejoice over the process that this is creating instead of the problem. And I promise you, if you make those decisions and lean on God's and you do those things, you will gain a a, a, a mature, strong, and courageous faith. You will gain a rock, chazak, mature type of faith. And you might be asking, though, how might I stay calm as God commanded? Because right now I'm in that season and I don't feel calm. I'll say it again so you understand it. By developing an attitude that says, I will rejoice in my God through my tribulation when I don't want to. By being in prayer without ceasing, saying this will not be a season away from you, God, but this will be a season I lean on you, God. By understanding that we have a God that will not leave nor forsake us and that he is with us through these trials. I know I'm getting close to my time, probably over. I have a reputation of talking a lot. So uh, there's this movie called Collateral Beauty. And it's Will Smith, and it's an older movie, and it's a great movie because he's going through life, and everything seems to be going wrong. And he's looking around, and it's just like, everything has gone wrong. What do I do? And somebody tells him, if you look close enough, you're not going to see collateral damage. You see collateral beauty. And I can look through those times. I can stand here today and say, when I look back through my trials, I literally only see collateral beauty. I can literally only see God's fingerprint on every single day of my life through that time. And I decide, looking back on it, that's what I'll be thankful for. The fact that I can see God was with me through these times. So to close today, if you remember nothing else, I want you to remember this. I heard it somewhere. It wasn't for me. But the quote goes something like this. The trauma you suffer may or may not have been your fault. But pursuing God for healing is absolutely your responsibility. We've all been hurt, but we can all heal. Because we have a good, good God. So I want you to have hope in whatever you may be going through. Because you have a God who will not leave nor forsake you. You have a God that will be with you. So I pray that you're, if you're in this situation, or even if you're still looking back on your trauma and you, and you view it without healing, that you may make a decision to turn towards God so that you can find that healing. Because he's a good, good father. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we thank you for being a God that is with us in times where it feels like no one is. We thank you for being a God that will not abandon or forsake us. We thank you for being a God that allows us to see you in our hardest times. We thank you for being present in our hardest times. We thank you for being a God who loves us so much that you forgive when it doesn't make sense, God. We love you when we ask that if anyone's going through this, they may find the courage and strength to find community and to turn towards you, God. In your most holy son's name.
Jesus, our Christ and Savior's name we pray. Amen.